Welcome back, friends. Lost Scarf here, and it's time for the newest Kirby's Dreamcast. In this podcast, we're going to talk about everything that has to do with Kirby from the beginning to the present. And today, we're going to talk about the only Kirby game never released in Japan. That's right. It's time to go over Kirby's Avalanche. If you have any comments about this episode or any others, you can put them up on the YouTube version's comments or send them to at Kirby Dreamcast on Twitter. This is a podcast, so the episodes are meant to be listened to, but for the gaming episodes like this one, I would suggest watching them to see the game visuals I described. So if you're listening to this episode, try to watch the Dreamcast on YouTube in the future if you can, because there's a lot more there to enjoy as well. First big piece is the news, and the biggest news has got to be that Makiko Omoto, the voice of Kirby since always, was in the hospital last week with an appendicitis. As of this podcast, though, she has been released from the hospital, so she's healthy, and that's good. I was really worrying, considering everything that's been going on in the world, right? Only other news is that Kirby Star Allies had their second anniversary since the last podcast, and it's the 16th of March is when that was. Also, judging on when this episode comes out, everyone's going to probably be playing Animal Crossing and Doom right now, and hopefully we see a new Kirby this year or next year. I would love another one. He keeps getting new games, so should be uh, at some point around then. Oh yeah, there's another anniversary that we need to mention. That's got to be Kirby 64. It came out 20 years ago. March 24th, 2000, when it came out in Japan. June 26, 2000, in the NA. And then for the EU, it is June 22nd, 2001. This, of course, is the end of the Dark Matter Trilogy... Very creative and fun game, and it's awesome, and I can't wait for one we cover it in the future. So in these game episodes, we usually go over things in a specific order, and that would be, uh, first, the background, the making of Kirby's Avalanche, uh, then what's going on with HAL at this time, then the advertising of Kirby's Avalanche, how well did it sell, the box and the game manual, the game itself, we'll try to weave into a story, because that's more fun to do it that way, and lastly, all about the staff and the credits, and there's some interesting things to learn in there. The credits are very interesting. I don't know how we're going to handle the credits in the future when there's just hundreds of people, but right now, there's some interesting people to learn about because you see where they were here and who they become later. It's pretty crazy, and there's at least a couple in the credits this time worth talking about. So this episode is going to be a little different because we need to talk about two other games to talk about Kirby's Avalanche, and they are Puyo Puyo and Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine. So Puyo Puyo came out in Japan on October 25th of 1991 on the MSX2. The development company was Compile, and they were published by Banpresto. People mostly know Banpresto now for the figurines, but they've been around forever, and publishing games is one of the things they do. And going back and playing a lot of games in the past, I remember, yeah, their symbol was there a lot. Compile would become known for Puyo Puyo, Shoot'em Ups, and Dungeon RPGs. Uh, they would ultimately go bankrupt, however, and they had to sell Puyo Puyo off to survive, and they sold it to Sega, so Sega owns Puyo Puyo now. And then they eventually became a new company known as Compile Heart, which some of you may know for the hyperdimension Neptunia games and Record of Agarest war games, and some other games they make. So Puyo Puyo was a match four versus puzzle kind of game, where you matched four of the same colored blobs as they fall in various colored pairs with combos and garbage blocks to hit the opponent with. It was created with Tetris in mind as its inspiration, and it was a hit. Puyo Puyo became so popular that it was eventually ported to the Sega Genesis in 1993, but they didn't think the Western release would get much attention with Japanese characters, so the developers worked with Sega to make Dr. Robotics' Mean Bean Machine. It kept lots of the same visual aspects, really, but replaced enemies and their portraits with Dr. Robotnik and his minions from the Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog animated series. Specifically, they changed the intro, but they kept the tutorial, changed all enemies, changed the game over screen, and changed all of the music, but kept the sound effects. Oh yeah, they called the blocks Beans in that, because of course they did, that's the name of it. Two years later, 
1995, they would be ported to the SNES as Super Puyo Puyo, but for Western audiences, it became Kirby's Avalanche, Kirby's Ghost Trap in the EU. Kirby's Avalanche would be released on April 25th, 1995, Ghost Trap February 1st, 1995. Interesting thing about that is that Kirby's Dream Course came out that same day uh, it, that EU got Ghost Trap. So Kirby fans in the US got three games in one year. Lucky them! It would be re-released on the Wii Virtual Console in September 24th of 2007. Just like Mean Bean Machine, Kirby's Avalanche was a complete reskin of Puyo Puyo. Well, even more so. So uh, Mean Bean Machine did keep some of the same visuals as Puyo Puyo, but Kirby redid everything besides the blobs themselves. All the backgrounds, everything there, like the bones are there, but the skin is different. That's really what happened there. Well, as Mean Bean Machine did keep some of the same visuals, Kirby redid all of them. It's still the same game, though, because, like, the intro screen is, like, this stone wall that's going up. Mean Bean Machine got rid of that part. But Kirby, it has a bunch of Kirbys on that instead. So everything is there from Puyo Puyo, but it's all reskinned. Well, Dr. Robotnik changed some things and also kept a lot of the same things as well. The tutorial's the same for all the games. If you were to do a side-by-side -side thing, just after a certain amount of time, you would just see this tutorial. It's the exact same one for all three games. And it's probably one of the things that's kept the same besides, well, just the structure. But as the visuals go, that's it. For Kirby's Avalanche, the enemies were changed with Kirby enemies, and the music was all remixes of Kirby's Adventure and Kirby's Dream Course soundtracks. Mean Bean Machine kept this rock structure on the combat screens that Puyo Puyo had, while Kirby put Green Greens and Dream Fountain. So on the combat screen, you got your side and you got your opponent's side, player one, player two, and then in the middle is like the score and seeing what's coming up next. And for Puyo Puyo, it's this mascot there in the middle. Dr. Robotics Mean Bean Machine kept that mascot too, but the Kirby version replaced them with Kirby. That's what they did there. And then you also have the portraits of the characters. For, of course, Mean Bean Machine, they had the portraits of their characters. For Puyo Puyo had their characters. And Avalanche, of course, has Kirby's characters. Something surprising is that there was actually dialogue between Kirby and his opponents in this game. They had voice lines to introduce the game and the characters as well. The game over screen was the same as Puyo Puyo, with Kirby replacing the main character of Puyo Puyo. The game was developed by a combined team of Compile, HAL Labs, and Nintendo. And we'll go deeper on that in the credits. It's very interesting how that worked out. And one more main difference between Kirby and Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine is pretty big, I think, and that is Dr. Robotnik had passwords for stage progression, while Kirby had nothing like that. You had to beat in one sitting, which can take around an hour depending on how good you are. It took him an hour to beat the game for footage for the YouTube version of this episode. By the way, all the footage we have here, the gameplay for that is going to be up on the side channel at Scarf Plays on YouTube. And it's not an easy game. It's not an easy game at all. Whew. For the hell part, there's nothing new to say since Kirby's Dream Land 2 since we did that podcast last time. That one came out after this game, so there's nothing really new to address. Sakurai's busy working on Kirby's Superstar. The rest of Hell is working on Kirby's Dream Land 2 after finishing Kirby's Dream Course. And the company's still deep in debt with Nintendo, and Iwata is working to turn that around with Kirby. So let's move on to advertising. So advertising for Kirby's Avalanche was pretty minimal since it was Western only. The advertisement for Kirby's Dream Course was also the advertisement for Kirby's Avalanche since they released three months apart. And in it, we have this guy trying to describe the, to police a monster that made him crush his friends with boulders, and they scare him with the drawing of Kirby and marshmallows. The US pushed really hard at making Kirby a bad guy for some reason. They just thought pink wouldn't work, but pink works. Come on. It's not, I just not for the time, I guess. It was the Attitude Era. The game was well-received, scoring in the upper quarter of ratings. It was praised for its graphics and cuteness, uh, while some appreciated how hard the game was, and others were not so sure uh, about Kirby being a little meaner in this game. 
This game is non-canon, by the way. I don't think I mentioned that already. It's the only game that's never been referenced by other games. All the other ones reference each other at some point, but this one has never been referenced, and that's because it's Western only, I assume. The game has, however, uh, been in the top 100 rankings of many ranked lists for Super Nintendo and just puzzle games in general, so good for that. One thing I can't mention is the sales numbers for Kirby's Avalanche. I just can't find them anywhere. This might be because of the complicated publishing work here, because it's published by Van Presto, then published by Nintendo, all that developer stuff going on. Or maybe just didn't sell that well. It's hard to know, especially since it's a, a port and a reskin of a different game, so makes it harder. And that's one of the things we just can't find the numbers on, unfortunately. So now let's go over the box and game manual. Since it was Western only, no need to compare it with the Japanese version, since there isn't one. As far as between US and EU, it's just the name of the games that are different. Avalanche and Ghost Trap, that's it. The cover shows Kirby in Green Greens looking cute as ever, while the Puyos are floating in the air above King Dedede, who isn't wearing his gloves for some reason. He does have them in-game, we also see some connected Puyos, and in the US they would be called Blobs for the colored ones, and Boulders for the colorless ones you sent to your opponent. And in Ghost Trap they're all, well, ghosts. The back of the box shows gameplay and says, Avalanche! The call is heard in the hills and valleys throughout Dreamland. The people of the country hold their breath and wonder. The first annual Dreamland's Avalanche competition has begun. It's up to you to blast Kirby's adversaries in the most thunderous puzzler set around. Strategically stack the color-coded blobs and watch them meld together. A colossal explosion will cause a massive bombardment of boulders just cas cascade upon your opponent. Rise above these grizzled veterans and claim the prized Dream Fountain Cup. Help Kirby bury his opponents in a landslide victory. A fast-paced puzzler that is impossible to put down. Exciting one- or two-player puzzler game. Contains 16 levels of fast-paced action. Includes 12 unique avalanche voices. Four different settings increases the challenge. So they're getting about the fast pace, by the way. The further you get into the game, the harder and faster it gets, with opponents who will play very optimal and make you pay for every mistake. It's not an easy game at all. <laughs> The game manual has the same cover as the box, but the description for the story is way longer, so here's what it says. The Story Welcome to Dreamland, a small, peaceful country situated on a faraway little star. In Dreamland, the local pastime is a puzzle game called Avalanche. Kirby decided that since every Dreamlander plays the game, it would be a good idea to have a country-wide competition to determine who was the best player of all. After months of organizing, the first annual Dreamland's Avalanche competition was finally announced. To be held at the Dream Fountain, this would be the biggest event in the history of Dreamland. All the Dreamlanders have been practicing and all plan to attend and compete. Like Kirby, they have been dreaming sweet dreams of becoming Avalanche Champion and claiming the highly sought-after Dream Fountain Cup. The rules for the competition are quite simple. Everyone will travel by foot to Dream Fountain. If while on the journey, two Dreamlanders happen to meet, they must challenge each other to an Avalanche match. Only the winner of the match may continue onwards, towards the Dream Fountain. In this way, the number of competitors will be whittled down to a manageable size before the final action at the Dream Fountain. Can you help guide Kirby through the competition so he arrives successfully at the Dream Fountain? Can he rise above the grizzled veterans and achieve his dream of becoming the reigning champion? His fate is in your hands. So Kirby came up with the Battle Royale first? This game predates Battle Royale, by the way. So this explanation works because the game only has two backgrounds. The woods, that I would assume is green greens, and the Dream Fountain. The manual itself has very colorful pages with splatted blobs on it, and Kirby drawings from Kirby's Adventure. Like, there's no powers in this. It, they just had those. I just, just to fill the pages. The manual does a good job of describing how to play the game and different modes and such. A great part is page 15 and 16, where the manual explains strategies on how to get chain reactions to really hurt your opponent. 
I'm happy with that. In the last page, they have short descriptions for every character, and I'll describe them as they come up in the gameplay portion of the podcast, which will be right now. <laughs> so before I tell you the game as a story, let's go over all the stuff I can't weave into a story, like the title screen. Once you boot the game and get past all the brands, the first thing you hear is... Kirby's Avalanche. Yep, this is the first time we hear a voice in the Kirby game. Also the first time the title is said. So you'll notice on the title screen, this weird wall going upwards in the background? That's from Puyo Puyo, and they just Kerberized it. If you wait long enough, they'll show the tutorial for the game, which is the same as Puyo Puyo, but with Kirby skin. And going into the game, you can play one-player campaign, two-player versus, practice, and options. In options, you can pick how many matches versus mode goes, and the difficulty of the CPU in single-player. One warning, even on normal, the game gets really hard halfway through. In practice, you can play endlessly. In versus, you can just fight another player with handicaps if needed. And single player is called competition, where you can pick to start easy, medium, or hard. And if you start easy, you do just three levels just to learn the game, and then you have to play on medium and hard. And medium hard just chooses how far into the game you go. It doesn't actually choose the difficulty. It's just saying, uh, let's go into stage four, it's going to be harder than playing on stage one. That's it. There's only one secret to the game, and I'll tell you it now, and you learn that after you beat the game. That is config mode. So you have to hold A, B, X, and Y on the second player controller for some reason, and hit reset on the SNES. This unlocks config mode in the options menu, which lets you change a bunch of settings. A bunch. And look at sound test. So that's it. It's cool they kept the tradition of sound test, but that's, that's the only secret in this whole game, which is unfortunate. But at least there is one. At least they kept to that. Oh yeah, one last thing to mention. As Kirby battles each person in the game, their portrait changes. They're either really happy as they're winning, or they get super stressed as they're losing. And then they get really sad and such when they get beat. So now, with all that explained, let's talk about Kirby's Avalanche as a story. It's the day of the first annual Dreamland's Avalanche competition. It was Kirby's idea, since everyone enjoys playing Avalanche, and now he wakes from his slumber and heads towards the Dream Fountain to fight for the Dream Fountain Cup. Kirby has confidence in himself, and he lets it get the better of him as it is verging on pride and hubris. The rules are that everyone has to head to the Dream Fountain, and if anyone runs into each other, they must battle until there's only one person left at the Dream Fountain. The manual reads, Kirby, our hero from Dreamland, is represented by the player. So, that's all we have for the description of Kirby. As we go, I'm going to describe each character from the description of the game, and also just how they are in the game as well. So Kirby ventures out, and the first Dreamlander Kirby runs into is... Waddle Dee. The manual describes Waddle Dee as a sniveling little whiner. You will find Waddle Dee to be the easiest of the bosses to defeat. Ouch! So Kirby plays high and asks if he's ready. Waddle Dee doesn't want to fight and wants to walk together with Kirby because he's scared of the forest. But Kirby responds, sorry, but rules are rules, and they engage in an avalanche battle. Waddle Dee plays very carefully and slowly, and he eventually gets overwhelmed by Kirby's flood of boulders. Poor Waddle Dee cries and runs away. Kirby's a little mean there, isn't he? Kirby shrugs that Waddle Dee should ju just have played harder and runs further into the forest. And he then runs into... Bronto Bert! So Bronto Bert is described as a full-time bully who needs to be taught a lesson or two. Luckily, he is not a good avalanche player. So I guess whoever he beat... Okay. Because Bronto Bert says he's already defeated someone as well and he can't wait to have another victim in Kirby. Kirby says he'll take on this bully and Bronto Bert aggressively tells him to shut up and they begin the battle. Bronobert proves to be a little bit better than Waddle Dee, as he actually makes combinations with the blobs and hits Kirby with some boulders. But eventually Kirby takes down Bronobert and he can't get over the shock of defeat. With two victories under his belt already, Kirby happily moves on and runs into an angry... Waddle Dee? Kirby wasn't very nice to Waddle Dee, so Waddle Dee will get revenge, but Kirby doesn't think so. The description in the manual for Waddle Dee is that he's Waddle Dee's first cousin, 
The Cyclops lacks a perspective, uh, seeing everything in only two dimensions. So, uh, wow, game manual. They're, they're quite descriptive in those manuals. Waddle Doo fights valiantly for the honor of Waddle Dee, but Kirby quickly drops his big stacks of boulders on Waddle Doo, which starts to make him tear up. Waddle Doo fights back hard, but eventually it isn't enough, and Kirby eventually makes Waddle Doo leave crying as well. Now, a quick aside here is the only way to fight these three is through easy mode. After beating them, King Dedede will tell you it's time to challenge in normal mode since you know the game now if you want to take him on. So Kirby wonders if he's being mean, but he thinks, nah, they just need to get better at Avalanche. And then he moves on further into the woods. But then out jumps out of the woods a wild... Happy brother senior. He threatens to give Kirby a bomb sandwich, but Kirby's full of confidence and tells him he'll just suck up his pathetic bomb and spit it back at him. So Poppy Bros. Senior agrees to just fight him through Avalanche instead. So Poppy Bros. Senior is described as a happy-go-lucky bomb-slinging boss and is your first real challenge in Avalanche. The thing is, though, is Kirby quickly floods the hapless bomber with boulders and the torrent of boulders knocks him out cold. Kirby pokes Poppy Bros. to make sure he's okay and then he heads off. Kirby prances through the forest and eventually hears the voice of Whispy Woods, who asks Kirby to be careful as he almost stepped on one of his roots. Kirby then remembers all the times he's had to fight Wispy Woods, so he decides to defeat Wispy Woods in Avalanche, and then takes some apples to make apple pie. So Kirby stomps on his root, and the battle begins. Wispy Woods is described as a contemplative age-old enemy of Kirby. Wispy Woods will prove to be the mightiest oak you have ever encountered. So Wispy Woods does put up a stalwart defense, but he is eventually uprooted by Kirby's aggressive boulder dropping, and I mean uprooted. Oh man, he gets torn out of the ground by Kirby. It's a bit mean, but Kirby thinks it's okay because he's he really does not like Wispy Woods. So after enjoying some apples, Kirby then senses something is nearby, but all he sees is a boulder in his way. But then the boulder spins to reveal it is... Who says they'll be the one to stop Kirby. Kirby says okay, and they have their battle. Kaboo is described as the immovable object, which will attempt to block Kirby, the irres irresistible force. <laughs> Thing is though, Kaboo doesn't give Kirby much trouble, he's just a rock in the road, basically. So Kirby buries him in a pile of his friends, the boulders, and they smush him. He gets smushed, actually smushed on the screen, he's like, woohoo, jeez. Up ahead, Kirby sees loss of dust, and he's curious what that's about, and it turns out it's... Broom Hatter can help but clean things up, and they're frantically trying to clean up the forest, which is just a futile effort. Kirby tells them they should worry more about their cleaning up their avalanche skills, then he challenges them. Apparently Broomhatter wasn't even in the avalanche competition, and they're fighting now. They're like, wait, what? They weren't even paying attention. Broomhatter's described as a pesky little character will try to sweep you right off the path to the Dream Fountain Cup. Well, kinda literally, yeah. Now, Broomhatter employs a very interesting strategy of neatly stacking their blobs along the walls before putting together combos. This is a strategy I used to do when I was a kid, now that I think about it. This gives Kirby a lot of trouble at first and causes Kirby to stumble, but eventually Kirby is able to make a mess out of Broomhatter's strategy with some of his boulders. Dust blows up from the boulders falling, and Broomhatter gets overwhelmed by all the dirtiness and falls over from all the pressure. Like, look at them! They just can't handle it. <laughs> After all that, Kirby is pretty dirty, so he heads over to some water, and out of the pond comes... Squishy! who tries to warn Kirby that King Diddy is in the competition. But Kirby won't hear none of this because he wants to win the competition. So then Squishy yells he'll give Kirby an eight-armed avalanche then. Squishy is described as an eight-tentacled boss who is the master of meddling. Squishy is also quite an accomplished avalanche player. Unfortunately for Squishy, Kirby quickly sets up a giant four-blob combo that drowns and constricts Squishy's attempts before he even got all eight tentacles involved. Kirby then runs into a pair known as Lolo and La La La. Kirby decides to compliment them on their amazing skills. Lolo and La 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 don't appreciate the pun and quickly start the battle. 
for those who don't know, Lolo and La 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 are from one of Hal's first franchises, where Lolo had to go through maze-like levels to reach his love Lala. They're described as, what a frustrating pair. Bury their parade in boulders as early and often as possible. So unfortunately for the pair, despite having more hands, they don't prove to be much faster or more skilled and end up taking a tumble against Kirby's avalanche skills. The pair hug in defeat and then they head home. With this, Kirby starts thinking he really has a good chance at winning this whole thing. But then he runs into a large roadblock in the form of... Bugsy. He roars at Kirby and makes the ground shake as he moves towards Kirby. Kirby sarcastically says, He's so scared, and then they proceed to battle it out. Bugsy's described as, Don't let the overly ag aggressive Bugsy intimidate you. That's it. Alright. He's always been a, this big figure Kirby's had to fight, and here we go again. Now by this point, a lot of the competition has been whittled down to a select number of great Avalanche players. There's like half the rosters left. Bugsy and all future opponents that Kirby face at this point will quickly form combos and throw lots of boulders at Kirby, and the blobs will start falling even faster with each new opponent. So the game gets even harder and harder. So because of the fact that everything's going to be dropping harder and his opponents are going to be throwing things at him faster, Kirby is going to need faster reflexes and better combos to take on this purple behemoth. And it does take a lot of struggle, but eventually Kirby squishes his competition and Bugsy shrinks away. But then... Rolls up on Kirby and offers to paint him a lovely portrait, which Kirby gets excited about, but then Paint Roller says it'll be of Kirby losing. Kirby gets mad and says he's the meanest art student he's ever met. And Paint Roller then tells him he's not the student, he's the master. And then they battle. Paint Roller is described as, don't let this boss paint you into a corner. Once he's got you down, there will be no escape. And it's not wrong, because Paint Roller is really, really, really hard to beat. The first real roadblock in this game. Kirby gets run over by Paint Roller over and over again. But eventually Kirby perseveres and slaps the paintbrush out of his hands. Paint Roller cries and rolls away. Kirby wonders if he was too mean, but shrugs and moves on. We're in an avalanche competition. This is gonna happen. Kirby now arrives at the Dream Fountain, and there's only a few people left. Then the ground shakes, and out comes... Heavy Mole. Heavy Mole tells Kirby he'll undermine Kirby's dream to win the competition. And Kirby says he won't be distracted by his underhanded tactics, and they fight. Really, these underjokes. So Heavy Mole is a sneaky, underhanded, underworld figure. Heavy Mole will hit you when you least expect it. Now, Heavy Mole absolutely buries Kirby in boulders. Lots and lots and lots of boulders. He combos very effectively. It takes Kirby many attempts to dig out of that hole, but eventually Kirby breaks down Heavy Mole, and he is just oiled everywhere after that. After this, Kirby takes on another duo in... Mr. Shine and Mr. Bright. After a lot of trash talking between Kirby and the Luminaries, they face off in a heated avalanche battle. The pair proved too much for Kirby at first, but eventually Kirby eclipses their attempts at victory. Oh, they're described as another deadly duo. Don't let down your guard on account of their friendly-sounding names. Next, lightning strikes in front of Kirby, and... Crackle. ...appears and threatens to hit Kirby with lightning. But Kirby says he couldn't hit a barn-sized lightning rod, and them's fighting words, so they have a furious avalanche duel. Crackle's described as, if you thought Thor was the god of thunder, this boss will change your mind in a hurry. <laughs> Despite the many tough battles, Crackle is a hated enemy of Kirby, that he has fought many times, so Kirby easily breezes through their battle because he's just tired of it. <laughs> Krakow is shocked and breaks apart in the wind. Kirby's nearly finished. He almost has the Dream Fountain Cup in his grasp, but then shows up and challenges him to a duel. But Kirby doesn't have a sword, so Midnight throws him a sword, except nope, he forgot to bring in his spare sword, which he should always do since Kirby never brings his own. So they duel an avalanche instead. How honorable of Meta Knight. Meta Knight described as, Shiver us to the last. Meta Knight is an all but unbeatable 
Avalanche player. And that ain't wrong, because this battle is fierce. Meta Knight drops his blobs almost instantly and sets up combos with relative ease. He makes crushing rocks seem such a breeze. With each pass, Meta Knight knocks Kirby over and over again, and again, and again, and again. He just keeps burying Kirby, and this goes on for a while. Meta Knight is a really, really tough opponent. But Kirby never, ever gives up, and keeps fighting Meta Knight until finally he makes a mistake. And Kirby kicks away his sword, and then Meta Knight waves the white flag. Now all that's left are two. Kirby and... King Dedede. King Dedede seems oddly cordial for the battle. Kirby's taken aback slightly, but Kirby also notices there's a large ball in the Dream Fountain. Things feel a little odd, but they go ahead with the final avalanche battle. King Dedede described as... Kirby's goofy arch-rival is the number one avalanche player in Dreamland. You will need to focus all of your avalanche skills to beat his character. King Diddy was actually just faking nice because he was confident he'd defeat Kirby easily. He just watched the beating Kirby got and there's no way he has any energy left. King Diddy instantly hammers in his blobs with thunderous certainty as he builds combos. But unfortunately for King Diddy, Kirby wasn't fatigued at all. Kirby's hubris, his pride, everything was torn away by the fight with Meta Knight. It was all cut to pieces. All Kirby is now is a forged warrior who was made stronger with the struggle against Meta Knight. And ultimately, Kirby defeats King Dedede in the first round. It was close, but not close enough. Kirby defeats King Dedede and becomes the first Dreamland Avalanche Champion. Kirby happily carries Dream Fountain help home. And after this, we get treated to seeing everyone Kirby fought and hearing their voice names again before getting the credits for the people who worked on the game. Evidently, this game takes place before Kirby's adventure because Nightmare is hanging out at the fountain in the background in his ball form. I really thought he was going to be a hidden final boss, but he isn't, and it's so disappointing. I guess he didn't come out because he actually doesn't have any good avalanche skills, so he was just watching the whole time. And yeah, I just, maybe while everyone's busy with the avalanche competition, he's stealing the rainbow bridges. Maybe that's what's happening. Oh wait, no, he has King Dedede do it. Wait, I'm thinking of... <laughs> Sorry, I'm thinking of Dreamland 2. Adventure! He takes over King Dedede, so I guess he's just waiting for this moment to take over King Dedede so he can do what he does in, in uh, Adventure. After the credits, you're shown how to enter config mode and sound test and such, uh, which I mentioned earlier. There's no other secrets, unfortunately. That sucks. And that's it for the story portion of this. Now we're going to talk about the credits. And yeah, it's not a canon game, but if you want to make a canon, you could say it's before Adventure. I think it's the best place you could place it. And it doesn't change anything. The only thing it changes is that, well, people talk and Kirby's a little bit of a meanie <laughs> when he actually does talk. And I guess that's why you don't let the boy talk. So all that's left to talk about is the credits. The majority of the team was Compile staff, which surprised me. I kind of expected a US company to take up the baton for some reason. But that's what's interesting is it was three teams. It was Compile, two members from HAL, and some Nintendo staff. So first, the Compile staff. Also, apparently, nearly every member of Compile used an alias, and you'll see that in the credits screens. The producer was Mu Nitani, also known as Masamitsu Nitani. He was the founder of Compile, so of course he's the top name in the game. He created Mado Monogatari, which was an RPG dungeon crawler series they made. The characters from that are in Puyo Puyo. The company went bankrupt under him, unfortunately, but he stayed as a manager of Compile Heart when they were bought and formed in 2006. They sold Puyo Puyo to Sega, and he would retire in 2012. The director was Kazunori Ikeda. He only directed four games, all of them were Puyo Puyo games, and this being one of them. He sub-directed the original Puyo Puyo, and he disappeared from history after 1995. So uh, I don't know if Kirby killed his, his, uh, his wanting to do the games, but there's the end of it. The programmer was Takayuki Hirono, uh, their alias was Gemini Hirono. They were very active, and they did some sound programming, programming, game design, 
technical support, supervisor, and many other things in over 50 games up to 2001. He was a very busy fellow. There were three sub-programmers there. Shoji Takauchi, which is, they have an interesting nickname, which is JG4MSG Takauchi. I don't know what the hell that means. And they also had a uh, emoticon. Masatoshi Seto, STO is with their alias, and Takayuki Sato, Satman. Their aliases are the ones that actually show up in the game. It's funny, but also what the heck. Interestingly, Shoji uh, Takeuchi worked on the same four games as the director. Masatoshi Sato only worked on five games. None really stand out, though. Takeyuki Sato worked on only five games, but it's a pretty random set. After Kirby's Avalanche, they wouldn't program another game until 2000 with Kengo Master Bushido. And I actually own this game. Let's remember this one. This is a PS2 game with technical sword fighting, and it's a very okay game. They also programmed Kabuki Wars in 2001 on the PS2 and Import Tuner Challenge in 2006. Then in 2009, he directed Spectrobe's Origins for the Wii, so that's a random career. Graphic designers were Koji Teramoto, their nickname was Janice Teramoto, Akemi Sakai, nicknamed Kemi, and Toshihiro Okamoto, uh, nicknamed Leonard. What are these names? Koji Teramoto worked on games since 1985 and stopped in 1995. Kirby was one of his last games. Uh, Kemi was all about Puyo Puyo. They would work on Puyo Puyo all the way up to 2003, and Toshihiro Okamoto only worked on this game, so not, didn't have much of a career there. The composer SE and SFC converter was Akiyoshi Nagao, which their nickname was Enosuke Nagao, don't get that one, and Nobuaki uh, Yamasaki, and their nickname was Taisho, and they only did the SFC converter. Nobuaki Yamasaki only worked on five games, Kirby was their first game. Uh, SFC converter was them converting the game files from MSX to SNES, that's what that is. Akiyoshi Nagao composed and did some sound effects for many Puyo Puyo games, and they worked on the 1996 Shadowrun game for Sega CD, which is just an interesting one to me. And that's it for the compile credits. So HAL Labs had only two, and that was Hirokazu Ando and Tetsuya Natoya. Hirokazu Ando is one of the HAL Labs' main three sound guys. He has been with them since 1992, when he started on Arcana, and he's done some composing and lots of sound work over the years. He was lead sound for Kirby Star Allies, and he did sound for Super Kirby Clash. He's most likely the one who made all the music for Kirby's Avalanche, if not by hand, then by direction, since it's all remakes or remixes of Kirby's Adventure and Dream Course. Tetsuya Notoya worked for HAL from 1993 to 2012, where he did graphic design, illustrations, artwork, and he's likely the one who made all the Kirby assets for the game, or directed that part at least. Now, Nintendo staff were Hideki Fuji, Derek Whipple, Shuji Kawaguchi, and Kensuke Tanabe. Hideki Fuji did map designs for Kirby's Dream Course and Dreamland 2 before joining Nintendo. He's really a design and illustration guy, so he probably helped with Kirby assets as well. His last game was Nintendo Land, where he did the planning. Derek Whipple is a figure that I have no clue what he did. He was a game tester and did photography for Nintendo and did some debugging, and then he got a special credits here. I guess he did some testing here as well? Shuji Kawaguchi is a mystery. They were Nintendo staff for this game and got a special thanks for Fire Emblem Awakening. Some digging revealed that they were involved in Nintendo's patents back in 1985, and that's all I could find, so there's something, but not much. And then there's Kensuke Tanabe, who is a living legend I've mentioned in the credits of Kirby's Dream Course and Dreamland 2. He's done a lot of things. He's directed, map designed, written scripts, supervised, translated, and so many more things. This man has credits on over 120 video games for Nintendo. In the last decade, he has become a producer for a lot of the major Nintendo titles. His most recent releases 
are Luigi's Mansion 3, and he's currently producing Metroid Prime 4. Now, the voice talent is Michael Kelbaugh and Robin Krause, and this is pretty interesting here. Michael Kelbaugh only did voices for this, Metal Combat Falcon's Revenge, and Blast Corps. He used to be in the Navy, and then in 1988, he went from the Navy to join Nintendo, and he did a bunch of testing and debugging on Nintendo of America, and was the executive producer for Metroid Prime's 2 and 3, Donkey Kong Returns, Returns 3D, and Tropical Freeze. And here's the thing, he's bigger than I realized he'd be. And this is the crazy story out of this game. He joined Nintendo as a playtester in 1988, and he climbed his way up the ladder, doing debugging, doing voice work, doing all these things. And he eventually becomes the president of Retro Studios in 2006. That's why he's the executive producer of Metroid Prime's 2 and 3 and all the Donkey Kong Country Return games. So that's nice career growth for that guy. Robin Krellis, not so much. She started out as a voice talent, the same as him, but also voiced Tetris Attack. She also did some uh, game uh, testing for Nintendo of America, but she eventually disappears before the turn of the century. The translators were Keiko Tamura and Kayomi McDonald. Keiko Tamura has quite the random career. She only translated a few games, but the most notable has to be that she translated Earthbound and Link's Awakening DX. She did map and level design for some Legrasser games, and was the lead level designer for Clonoa. So if you're a fan of those games, she has work in there. Kiyomi McDonald translated various games from English to Japanese and Japanese to English. Most notably is probably the Japanese translation of Star Wars Shadows of the Empire. She will get a special thanks in Kirby Superstar. She was also did production analysis for Nintendo of America on Mario RPG. And lastly, there's a special thanks to Daniel Osen and Hiroyuki Yamada. Daniel Osen has been doing localization for Nintendo from 1991 to the present, his newest game being the newest Link's Awakening in 2019. Hiroyuki Yamada has a varying career. They did a lot of localization too, but they probably have the same function as Daniel Osen. They climbed up and became supervisor for a bunch of Nintendo games, and the last one being Stretchmo. But they also were project coordinator of something, a little, a little game called Metal Gear Solid Twin Snakes. <laughs> and that's it for all the credits. Uh, we learned a lot of cool stuff there. I, I really, just really crazy some of these, these growths from here. Like there weren't, because this is Nintendo. It's been around for like, what, 10 or so years at this point, And some important figures are showing up. And that's really cool there. So only a couple little things left to mention. That's uh, Kirby's Avalanche and Kirby... Tilt and Tumble are currently the only games that have an announcer announce the title at the start. And this is, along with Kirby's Toy Box and Kirby's Slider, the only games never referenced by any other games or properties. Like, even the anime gets, uh, gets referenced in uh, Mass Attack, but these games have never been referenced. Avalanche has never referenced it in any of the other games. The Toy Box isn't referenced, and then Kirby's Slide isn't referenced either. It can be hard to get those games as well to, t- to cover them, because they're not exactly major games that got played. So that right there is our Kirby's Dreamcast on Kirby's Avalanche. This was a fun, interesting game. It's also a weird one, but overall, I'm glad I played it. The next game we'll be going over is Kirby's Block Ball. But before that, we'll be going over episode 33 of Kirby Right Back At You Anime. It's both a good and okay episode. Kirby's really cute in it, though. And so ends today's Kirby's Dreamcast. Share us with your friends so they can enjoy the podcast, too. We're on Podbean, iTunes, Google Music Play, YouTube, and iHeartRadio, and anywhere else you can find podcasts. I had fun and hope you had fun watching and or listening, and that's what it's all about, isn't it? Having fun. Thanks for coming by, and see you next time. (laughs) 